0: Butts and Guts, a Cleveland Clinic podcast exploring your digestive and surgical health from end to end. So welcome to another episode of Butts and Guts. I'm your host, Scott Steele, the chairman of colorectal surgery here at the Cleveland Clinic in beautiful Cleveland, Ohio. And we're very pleased to have Dr. Anthony DeRoss, who's a pediatric surgeon, and Dr. John DiFiore, who's also a pediatric surgeon and is the director of the Center of Excellence for Pexis, Excavatum, and Carinatum. Gentlemen, welcome to Butts and Guts. Thank you. Good morning. So John, we'll start with you. Tell me a little bit about your background and where are you from, where did you train, how to come to the point where that you're here at the Cleveland Clinic?
1: I grew up in the Northeast. I'm from uh, a town outside of New York City called Larchmont, New York. That's where I grew up. Um, I did all my school and training uh, in the Northeast, went to Dartmouth College, Columbia Medical School in New York, back home. Uh, and then I spent 10 years in Boston where I did all my surgical training. Including general surgery and pediatric surgery. And Tony,
2: I grew up in Pittsburgh and went to medical school and college there. Did my training in New England and then uh, have been in Cleveland
0: now for about nine years. Well, we're very glad to have both of you here. So let's we're going to talk today about uh, one of the disorders that affect children, and that's pectus excavatum and carinatum. And so. Uh, Let's start with you, John. Can you just give us some descriptions, kind of a background of what is each of the conditions and and what's the difference between the two?
1: Pectus excavatum and carinatum are a a group of chest wall abnormalities or deformities uh, where there's an abnormal contour to the shape of the chest and the sternum in particular. Pectus excavatum, which we see much more frequently, about 85% of the time, is an indentation of the chest where the center part of the sternum or the breastbone is uh, pushed backward uh, by several centimeters. Pectus carinatum is the opposite where the sternum actually projects too far forward or anterior. Uh, Pectus excavatum is sometimes called a sunken chest. Pectus carinatum is also known as a pigeon chest. Those are common terms that uh, are used or that people might recognize. Tony, we're all built a lot
0: differently in life. Everybody's a different way, shape, and form. So I'm assuming that there's a degree of normal versus quote unquote abnormal here. So how do you figure that out? Or like is there specific symptoms that go along with either one of these disorders that parents or kids should kind of watch out for, or primary care docs that see these children or pediatricians and say, this is pectus excavatum or carinatum and look to seeing a referral for this
2: sure the biggest symptom is just the appearance of the chest that's the symptom or sign that patients and primary care docs both usually will notice first when you speak with patients more especially patients who are in their teenage years when we see this condition become more noticeable because they're going through growth spurts, those patients oftentimes with both conditions, but more commonly with excavatum compared to carinatum, will start to have uh, oftentimes symptoms of chest pain, shortness of breath, fatigue, and decreased stamina compared to that of their peers. A lot of these patients are very tall, thin, athletic individuals, and they start to notice that they need to take frequent Breaks when they're playing soccer or baseball football whatever it is swimming and so those are some of the symptoms that patients tell us that they're having whenever they come in to see
0: us so John is this uh, I, I know Tony talked a little bit about uh, some of the symptoms and especially I can understand how with sports this may be a problem but is this a cosmetic deformity in and of itself or is a, is this something that truly is an
1: aspect of having decreased functionality it's really both the term cosmetic is a little misleading because of what can really be a very serious impact on the development of self-image and self-confidence and self-esteem in a developing young teenager. So the appearance of the chest is really critically important to the psychosocial development of uh, growing teenagers. So even though uh, it's often seen as cosmetic, there are real implications in terms of development for that. On the other side, uh, what I think is underappreciated is really the, uh, the physiological aspects of pectus excavatum, in particular, the cardiorespiratory component that uh, we are really trying to unravel here in our program. The shortness of breath uh, and fatigue that Tony mentioned, are uh, probably a combination of two factors. One is the is simple mechanical restriction of the chest wall by the indentation of the sternum and of the, the pectus excavatum. The second component is likely due to cardiac compression, typically of both the right atrium and the right ventricle by the sternum pushing in or indenting the, the heart. And that may have some effect on pulmonary blood flow with oxygenation playing a role in the fatigue and in the shortness of breath. So I think the simplistic view is that it's just, the chest is pushed in and it doesn't expand very well, but what we're learning in our program, uh, and we can talk a little bit about the testing, is that there is a significant cardiac component as well. So Tony, we have a
0: lot of parents that listen to this podcast and uh, having a teenager myself, you can go up to the teenager and say, what's wrong? And they'll say, nothing. And so if I'm a parent that's out there, I guess, what is the the threshold to seek an evaluation on, on these patients, especially if it's, you get that typical response, nothing's wrong. I'm fine, dad. I'm fine, mom. Something like that.
2: Uh, very good question. I, I think it's interesting in this day and age of ease of access to information, we find that most of the patients. Uh, uh, a lot of times, the parents, but even more often, the patients are actually seeking knowledge about this condition when they see it. They notice that their chest looks different than their friend's chest. They go to the internet, they Google it, they find out information, and most of the time when parents and patients come to see us, they already have a fair amount of knowledge, and most of it pretty accurate, about what's going on and what they even want to do about it. The... The truth of the matter is, if they're not having symptoms and they're not upset with the appearance of their chest, there's really nothing that absolutely needs to be done. There are plenty of people who have lived their entire lives with Excavatum and Karen on them and have had no real consequences later in life. We don't know that, and we're trying to find out in patients who have, uh, who develop heart and lung conditions later in life who have pectus carinatum or excavatum, are those functions negatively impacted by the chest wall? We don't know if they have worse cardiac function because of their excavatum later in life. We don't know that, we don't have the data for that yet. But as far as we know, there's really nothing that absolutely has to be done unless the patient is having symptoms and or wants to have something done about it.
0: So it's pretty scary to go to the doctor. So John, uh, I'm a parent, I take my child in to see you. Walk me through that first initial evaluation. What can they expect in your office and what sort of tests can they expect to get?
1: So the initial evaluation is a fairly laid back conversation with what's typically a young teenager and we ask them why they came to the office, what's bothering them about their chest? Is it just the appearance? Is, are they having symptoms of shortness of breath and or chest pain or other symptoms? It's a fairly uh, stress-free discussion. Then there's a physical examination where we uh, look at the chest and make an assessment of the severity of the pectus. And then we'll talk about the testing involved. And at Cleveland Clinic, I think we have a fairly unique testing program, a fairly standard evaluation across most of the country is a CT scan, an echocardiogram, and pulmonary function test to evaluate lung function. The last of which pulmonary function test,
0: uh, involves what?
1: That's essentially breathing into a machine and measuring different lung volumes to see if there's any impingement by the pectus. What we found over about 15 years is that the vast majority of those tests, other than the CAT scan that shows the indentation... Most of the times those tests are gonna be normal because young teenagers have tremendous cardiopulmonary reserve. They got great heart, they got great lungs, and they can overcome a lot of the issues that we might be looking for. So what we started doing about three years ago when Tony did a great job really transitioning our evaluation process was we now do a cardiac MRI and a cardiopulmonary stress test where patients get on a treadmill And what we are really starting to see is that we're picking up a lot more uh, subtle abnormalities when we stress teenagers in terms of their cardiac response, something called cardiac work rate and cardiac efficiency. That's a much more detailed examination than just a pulmonary function test. And we're, we're really starting to understand the cardiac component in addition to the pulmonary component and picking up on those abnormalities. Tony, is there any
0: non-surgical treatment for either of these conditions? Is there a brace I can go out and buy, or um, can I work extra hard on my breathing, or do anything like that?
2: Sure. We actually do have a very, uh, I think, now well-developed and established bracing program, particularly for pectus carinatum. You can't brace the excavatum. But at carinatum, we do have a brace that we've been very happy with and our patients have had excellent results with. It's manufactured by a company in Argentina that was founded by a pediatric surgeon uh, there who was interested in trying to find a more non-surgical management for carinatum, which happens to be more more common in, in that region of the world. It's a dynamic compression brace. We can measure the exact amount of pressure that we put on the carinatum so that it is just the right amount to actually correct the chest wall shape, but not enough to cause any damage to the skin. And uh, patients wear that for a period of months to years, depending on how severe their condition is. And, And we've had excellent results with that so far. For pectus excavatum, there is a vacuum bell. It's basically a big suction cup that goes on the chest and can actually reshape the chest when the patient uses that for a period of time every day. It takes a lot of determination and focus from the patient to be able to do that every day. We have found that it it works well for patients who have very minor pectus excavatum, and uh, it can sometimes be a bridge to partial correction, and then sometimes patients will still Want to proceed with surgery after that. But the brace for, for Karen Autumn does work
0: quite well. So, just for my own information, I'm picturing these smile commercials where they put in these implants and it changes your teeth over time. Do these braces actually change the chest wall or does it only work when the brace is on?
2: No, it actually changes the chest wall shape over time. In the initial period, patients will tell us that they'll have it on, they'll take it off, and their chest is corrected. But then, after about half an hour or an hour, they notice that it comes back out. And so patients do have to be vigilant in wearing it for, we we actually recommend in in most cases, up to 23 hours a day, taking it off for sports and showering and hygiene purposes and things like that. But it, it does, over time, then correct and we wean them off just like you would with braces on your teeth, for example, We have a retainer mode where they wear it and we don't tighten it and they wear it for fewer and fewer hours. Now patients can develop sort of not really a recurrence but an increased development in the carinotum after they've been off of it for a while and then we just put the brace back on. That typically happens when they're going through growth spurts. But once they're done growing, theoretically it should be corrected.
0: So John, let's jump into the surgical management of it. So walk me through what that involves and uh, a little bit about the risks
1: associated with it and how successful is it. So historically... Pectus excavatum in particular was repaired with an open surgical procedure with, a, with an incision across the chest and removing the abnormally shaped cartilages that are pushing the sternum backward. Over really the last 20 years, I would say upwards of 95% of our patients are now candidates for a minimally invasive repair for pectus also known as the Nuss procedure after Dr. Nuss, who invented the operation and presented it first about 20 years ago. The advantage of the Nuss procedure, which we do in in very high volume here, is that it's uh, two very small incisions out in the axilla or the armpit area. We put a, a very tiny camera into the chest and we create a tunnel behind the sternum and behind the sternum we place a curved metal bar that will push the sternum forward into the normal position. Essentially that works. The best analogy as uh, Tony alluded to already is is that it works like braces on your teeth. The bar stays in place for a period of three years. And during that time, the chest wall, the ribs and the sternum will reshape and remodel in that normal position so that when the bar is removed, the chest stays in the normal position. Uh, the difference between braces and the NUSS procedure, if you will, is that with the NUSS procedure, the chest wall is immediately corrected. So when families are in their recovery room and they're looking at their child's uh, chest wall, it looks completely corrected hundred percent right after surgery. It's typically about three to four days in the hospital after surgery. And we're, we're working on improving on that. Uh, But overall, the results are excellent. And when that bar is in there, how long does it stay in there? Is it a permanent type thing? Uh, Can patients uh, walk, talk, play sports? So the bar is in place for three years. Eventually, they can return to complete and full activity in any type of sport. For three months, there are restrictions on most sports. We wait six months for contact sports like uh, football, hockey, soccer, things like that. But eventually... Tony and I have patients playing all kinds of sports, including full contact sports like football and and hockey. And then for carinatum?
2: For carinatum, patients can undergo a a surgical procedure, which John already described, the ravage procedure, uh, where we go in and take those abnormally shaped cartilages out. Uh, They're really two different ends of the spectrum, same disease process with these abnormal cartilages, excavatum and carinotum. And so... With them, we take out the cartilages, we we put a small bar in to stabilize the sternum while it's healing, that bar stays in for about six to twelve months and is then removed.
0: The similar type of restrictions associated with that type of repair as well? It is. For
2: both the ravage procedure, which is the open procedure for both conditions, and the Nuss procedure, the return to activity is is pretty similar, at least for me. And I think for John too, uh, over a period of three to six months, we get patients back to doing everything they want to do.
0: So John, I can imagine there might be a child with this out there that's excited about the procedure, but then is like, whoa, a bar in my chest and what's going on. What's the risk of not correcting either one of the conditions?
1: What I tell patients and their families is that it's not unsafe to leave it the way it is. And it really comes down to the factors of how much does the appearance of the chest wall bother a patient. And some patients come in and say, you know what? I'm good. Uh, I don't want to not play soccer for three months and it, it doesn't really bother me that much, but it's the appearance combined with symptoms of shortness of breath and chest pain. So it's really a lifestyle choice. And most patients that come in to see us are coming because One of those three things is bothering them enough that they want to improve it. So can you function well with the pectus the way it is? Uh, The answer is yes, but most patients find they can't function optimally. And even patients that say they're not short of breath before the surgery, when we see them in the office, I would say at least half of those after the surgery come back and say, you know, I remember telling you I wasn't short of breath but after the surgery now, I breathe completely differently and so much better. Nobody has a sense that they've got a bar in their chest. So a lot of a lot of kids are worried about that. I've got this piece of metal. You really don't feel it at all. Most pectus patients are pretty thin, so they can feel it out in the armpit area if they really try. But... They just go about their business and really have no idea the bar's even in there.
0: Tony, I know we're focusing on kids, but there's going to be some adults out there that maybe didn't even know they had this, but they knew something was up. Only something that can be addressed in the pediatric or you know young adult time, or is this something if a adult comes in that they could get addressed at that stage?
2: Absolutely. We we definitely see some adults in our practice, uh, particularly for the nuss procedure. There are some adult thoracic surgeons who offer a different type of procedure and correction for, for adults. But particularly the NUS procedure, we're the only group that is is doing that here at the clinic. And so anybody who's interested in the NUS, even adults, and we've done some patients, I've done some patients in their 20s and 30s, and I think John has done uh, some patients older, up to 50 for the Nuss procedure. So for uh, Karen on for the bracing, it becomes a little more difficult uh, for patients to tolerate whenever their chest becomes a little more ossified and uh, less compliant. So uh, we can offer the brace to older patients, but it, it takes a lot longer for things
0: to correct. And so to either one of you, what's on the horizon for the future treatment of pectus?
1: What we're really working on at this point is optimizing the the details of the procedure, and in particular, our pain control. Uh, We have gone from a spectrum of using uh, epidurals, which we no longer use, to uh, intravenous medications, to now starting a a new trial of doing intercostal nerve blocks during the surgery to basically numb the chest wall in the postoperative period. And we've had some excellent results with that so uh, patients are going home more comfortable we're also really focusing on minimizing opioid use that's a that's a big important issue for our patients and for patients in general so we've been able to really cut down on the need for narcotics and opioid medications postoperatively. any other things that you can see if
0: you were to go out 20 years in the future and think, is this bar gonna be something that's still there? Or are we gonna have something else, some new cartilage insertion? Anybody working on anything that's maybe a little outside of the box, whether or not it kind of comes to fruition or not, we all know how those things go, but have you heard of anything?
2: There are some different trials going on with some different devices. There are some magnetic devices that are seeking FDA approval now. They still involve an implant procedure. So it, to my knowledge, been anything done, particularly with the cartilage itself. But but we do know that these conditions, pectus, excabotum, and carinatum, are associated with other connective tissue disorders, such as Marfan syndrome, uh, for example, that some patients share those diagnoses. And so perhaps some of the research in those areas will spill over and help us to better control uh, patients with, with excabotum and
0: carinatum. Well, that's pretty incredible stuff. And we appreciate you coming on and talking about it. So we always like to end up with all of our guests on a couple of quick hitters. And so we'll go kind of back and forth style. John, favorite food? Steak. Tony? Ooh, tough one. Uh,
2: yeah, I, uh, pizza.
0: (laughs) Tony, favorite sport? (laughs) Uh, football. John? Rugby. And the last non-medical book that you've each read? I read the Lord of the Rings trilogy recently. That's gotta be long.
2: My neighbor writes, uh, mystery novels. And so the last book I read was hers.
0: Oh, Fantastic. And then to each of you, you spent some time here in Cleveland. So what is it that
1: you like about Cleveland? John? Cleveland was just a fabulous place to raise my family. My daughter was born in Boston, but my, my two boys, my twins were born here in Cleveland. Uh, so they grew up their entire lives here and it was just a fabulous place to raise a family. Tony?
2: It's funny, my wife came here to train at the clinic in her specialty, surgical specialty, and uh, we never thought we'd end up staying in Cleveland, but we really love it, and it's a fantastic place.
0: Well, that's fantastic. And so for more information about Pectus Excavatum and Carinatum, please download our free treatment guide at clevelandclinic.org slash pectus. That's clevelandclinic.org slash pectus, P-E-C-T-U-S. And to make an appointment with a Cleveland Clinic specialist, please call 216-442-4378. That's 216-442-4378. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us on Butts and Guts. Thank you very much. That wraps things up here at Cleveland Clinic. Until next time, thanks for listening to Butts and Guts.